Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big stickler on uh, freedom is messy, but we have to we have to move on. We there's risk in everything we do in life. This is the interview podcast on the Wine Milbank Podcast Network from Milbank, South Dakota. I'm Craig Weinberg. Uh, today is April 24, 2020. Strangely enough. Uh, on the, the phone, because we can't really be together anymore, uh, we have a special guest today, uh, Liz Marty from, where are you from? Kyle? Kyle, South Dakota. Kyle, South Dakota is with it's us. Liz May. Liz May. Liz Marty May. That's right. Yeah. Um, tell us just a little bit about who you are and uh, what you're trying to do. Well, um... My name's Liz May. I'm a cow-calf producer. Uh, my husband and I have a cow-calf operation in the southwest corner of the state on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Um, Ooh, you're on also, the reservation. Uh, you, you, on the you're reservation. in the okay. On Pine Ridge. My husband's a member of the Ogallala Sioux Tribe. Okay. Um, we also own the local grocery store in Kyle, which is about seven miles east of where the ranch is. Um, I was born and raised in Harding County, South Dakota on a cow-calf operation there and attended a one-room schoolhouse for eight years and then went to high school in Spearfish, South Dakota and graduated from there. So uh, I was married in 82 and I've been here in Kyle uh, longer than I was in Harding County. So <laughs> Excellent. I, I served in the state legislature uh, for six years for District 27, which included Hawken, Jackson, Bennett. Uh, the old Shannon County, it's now renamed Ogallala Lakota County, and then the eastern part of Pennington County. So I had a huge area uh, in the district and represented okay. them for six years state level. So was that six years? Did you get term limited out? Or did no, you? No, I got beat my last okay. election. Okay. Um, so I was the first Republican elected in this district. So now that's um, interesting. Why? Uh... Yeah, it's about four to one. Um, Democrats versus Republicans in this district. So but, it's one of the blue, like one of the only blue districts blue. in the state, correct? It is very blue. Mm. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Um, uh, because of the reservation. It's a big county. Mm. Um, most most individuals um, on the reservation are registered Democrats. Um, and then the outlying counties are real rural, mostly ranches, mm -hmm. um, some farming but mostly ranches. Um, and so the, the population is really um, centered on the reservation. So. Okay. So you, um, when were you last in the legislature? Um, it 18? This is my second year out. Yes, okay. 18. Okay. So mm -hmm. um, what in the world has caused you to decide to run for <laughs> national office? Because you are you are running in a primary challenge to Representative Dusty Johnson, correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Are you crazy? Um, just, What's going on? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, completely, I guess. That's that's what they told mm -hmm. me when I ran for a state office, too. They said, oh, you don't, you don't have a chance. You know, it's four to one. Mm -hmm. um, there's just no way you'll get elected. But um, I... I've never shied away from a challenge. And uh, so I gave it a shot my first year as a state legislature. And, you know, people um, people crossed over, uh, voted for me. Um, you know, I always told people with my district, people learn to trust me and trust my judgment. And, of course, I have a lot of contact owning the grocery store. And I mm -hmm. work at the grocery store every day. And so... You know, we've had the grocery store for 16 years. My husband was born and raised here. So, you know, we know a lot of people, even um, from the other party. And um, so we had a lot of people cross over. So, uh, yeah, um, I think we need better representation in uh, Washington, D.C. Specifically, I got in this race um, for my ranching and the independent feeders, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're suffering terrible, of course, now COVID-19, but before that, you know, this has been an ongoing issue for 30 years and, and we continue to send the same kind of people to Washington, D.C. that um, never really are able to tell the story in a way 
that somebody like I would be mm-hmm. able to, because you have to have the real life experiences in order to uh, know the right questions to ask right. and um, try to push for better legislation. So, so what is the biggest change that you see that needs to happen? The biggest thing for me is, and, and I'll go back to um, being a state legislator, mm-hmm. the fact that um, the legislative body at the state level, and it's, and it's happened um, twofold at the national le- level, is we have promulgated all our rulemaking authority away to unelected bureaucrats and lobbyists. At basically. the state level or the national level? At the state level okay. and at the national level. And, um, you know... Uh, with the ag industry being the number one industry in the state of South Dakota, um, the people that represent us in DC have to make sure that that industry is well represented. And, um, you know, with me, my, my husband and I've been doing this close to 40 years. And, and like I said, I came off a ranch in Harding County and I can remember um, when they moved away from um, the big steers, what is what we called them. They were three-year-old steers because they didn't fit the box and um that's the reason that's the reason (laughs) and uh so um you know they they've pushed our industry Mm -hmm. into um uh, a situation now where to me it's a national security issue and uh, COVID-19 has just brought that to light and owning a grocery store I see it uh I see it as a cow-calf producer and I see it as a retail uh store so um, it's, it is serious. So what, what's been the biggest impact directly to you during this COVID-19, um, thing that's going on? I mean, how has it directly impacted you? For the, for the grocery store itself is just being able to get product. We haven't been able to get product. Really? Oh, it's terrible. Um, uh, 80, 20 hamburger, Mm -hmm. um, impossible to get. They've moved, moved us now to the cab meat, which is the certified Angus beef, which is anywhere from 30 to 40 cents a pound higher uh, than the regular 80-20. Chucks, Claude's can't get them in. They're just, they're not available because they're grinding everything. Why? Um, We were able to get some arms in last week. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it is is definitely, um, and it comes from the supply chain. Yeah. uh, We have four major packers, um, you know, controlling the whole, packing industry and you know 30 40 years ago we had hundreds of packers across the united states so if one if one packing company was infected say with the covid 19 we had other packing companies that we could go to we're not in that position now we have four major packers and um, they're controlling the whole supply chain so when we have two of them now shut down Mm -hmm. that affects everybody because fat cattle uh, whether you're talking cattle or hogs, whatever it may be, you can only hold them so long. Right. And um, so it's not that there's a shortage, but there is a shortage of uh, packing operations. So it's really and, the processing uh, that's the problem. So what's happening to the animals? Are, are they just, are they killing them on the hoof just to get rid of them? Um, there's going to be a, I can't speak for the beef industry mm-hmm. right now. I don't think that we have, uh, we have, went to that point yet yeah um the hog industry is definitely at that point where they're euthanizing uh animals and and it happened in the 30s too you know i mean there was nowhere to go with them and um you know livestock have to be slaughtered they have to be slaughtered Mm -hmm. at a certain weight and time and um so we're we're nervous about what's happening and at the same time that all this is happening the U.S. is importing our meat, and so we're we're doubling the imports versus what we're exporting. So that is just creating more of a more of a problem for the market and our industry. What's the answer that you in, in your mind? Well, the first thing that needs to be done is we need. You know, I tell people this all the time. You, we can, as legislators, we can put laws on the books, mm-hmm. but it doesn't serve any purpose to put a law in the books and then they're not enforced. Yeah. And that is what we're seeing with the Stockers and Packyards Act. It, the, it's been on the books since 1921. They've broken these monopolies up before, but they have refused over the last 30 years to see what is happening. And they haven't enforced the law. We have 100,000 USDA employees 
but yet they can't control four Packers. <laughs> it, it just makes absolutely no sense to anybody with any common sense. Does um, there any uh, correlation with, you know, speaking specifically of the Smithfield operation with Chinese acquisition of that company a few years back? Does that have any, oh, yeah, any bearing uh, on this? Well, it has a bearing in a way that it's similar and it, and it's where they've been trying to take the beef industry. Um, the vertical integration that they, the, the hog producers and the chicken producers have seen over the last 30 years, I mean, tells the tale. And so, um, you know, everybody, everybody has promoted this outsourcing mm -hmm. for years and years and years to China and, and a lot of other countries. Um, but mostly what you see in the hog industry is, is to China. And so the idea that we can have uh, the Chinese government come in through the EB-5 program or whatever it may be and buy, actually buy American businesses and buy land <laughs> can only lead anybody to understand that we're, we're putting ourselves in a precarious situation, yeah. that our food supply now is going to be controlled by a dictatorship, totalitarian government. And so how um, our legislative bodies at, at the state level and at the national level have allowed this to happen is beyond any common sense to me. Does it come down to money? It always comes down to money. And every, everything, anything like this comes down to money. If you can buy a green card for 500000 yeah. um, I mean, basically, they, they're selling America for 500000 And... Um, so there's just no, there's no getting around that. People push back and say, well, you know, it's, it's good. Uh, globalization, vertical integration, it makes for cheap food. Well, we need to decide, do we want cheap food or do we want safe food? And the bottom line for us is we want safe food. So um, I, I think I'm pretty clear about uh, how I feel about um, foreign countries owning land and businesses in the United States. Yeah. Well, Hollywood is mostly purchased up by the Chinese as well. Yes. And that's, yeah. you know, I, I think, so, so I, then think about that. The propaganda, in quotes, that we're yeah. being fed is at some level controlled by another government. It is. It is. And um, so anyway, so you, you asked why I originally jumped into this race. And I guess that pretty much tells you the tale. I, you know, I've sat back. I've watched this for 30 years. I was reluctant to run as a state legislator. Uh, when I did, I had two legislators that sat at my kitchen table for six years and told me, Liz, you need to, you need to get in this game. We need help, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so I jumped in with both feet and I haven't looked back. And then I was pressured last fall to, uh, think about, um, taking on this challenge. And, um, after a long conversation with family over the holidays, we decided, well, um, you know, I guess there's no better time than now. So, um, here I am. How, and how has it gone so far? Well, it's been, it, of course, it's been a struggle, but uh, it's an even playing field, I guess you would say. We're all locked down. Yeah, I'm on the reservation. And so, um, you know, we follow uh, different laws here. We've been under a complete lockdown, stay at home order for Ooh, two weeks. Talk about and, that. What does that look like? Well, it looks like socialism at its best. I mean, people are not allowed, they've got guards at every entry onto the reservation Armed? um uh yeah they take yeah and they take down your driver's light or your license plate number mm -hmm. they report it um some people are not allowed to you know we have it's a rural area so we have individuals that uh work off the reservation and um coming back on has been a challenge for some of them um people that have lived here their whole life um there's a handful of um local businesses on the reservation, um, such as myself. Um, but there is not enough of us to, um, be able to service the food industry, um, for 40,000 people. And so, you know, a lot of the people off the reservation use the outlining, uh, community, say Martin, South Dakota, uh, Gordon, Nebraska, uh, Phillip, Kadoka, uh, and Rapid City. Rapid City is 90 miles. The rest of them I guess Martin would be the closest mm. at 40. And so um, they did this last time decide that they could allow Martin to be uh, part of it. Um, but yeah, and so it's been a real struggle for like my store to keep 
enough supplies in to um, service not just my community now, but the outlying communities. And so so are, it's been a real challenge. Are, are they keeping supplies away from you? Like, are they keeping people out of the reservation altogether? Or it's just much more difficult allowing, to get in? They're, allow, they're allowing supply trucks to come mm. in. So like my um, grocery trucks mm-hmm. are able to deliver to me. The Pepsi and Coke trucks are able to deliver. Um, those kind of things. But absolutely nobody else has been allowed in. There was a gentleman a couple of weeks ago that um, had ordered a semi load of lumber out of Rapid City and got to the checkpoint. They were going to build a barn and the truck was turned around. So really? Oh man. Yeah. So they, you know, and, and in the last two weeks, they've tried to address some of the agriculture issues because they were turning um, one gentleman had a pot load of cattle that he couldn't get in um, that he'd bought up North uh, vets, you know, and so some of those issues they have tried to address, but, um, and, uh, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's been, um, challenging to say the least. Was that uh, a decision made? I mean, obviously right. governor Nome doesn't have any say over the reservation, no. but she did no. suggest to them that they maybe think about something. Correct. Is that right? Not that I'm aware oh, okay. of. Um, um, the tribal council, each, each reservation has mm-hmm. its tribal council and they are the governing body and they're the ones that make those ultimate decisions. And this was a decision that they made. As far as I know, governor Nome has never weighed in on it oh, okay. one way or the other. I know that she did weigh in on the fact that they had some of their roadblocks were set up on state highways. Mm. Um, but so anyway, so they're going to meet again, either tomorrow or Tuesday to decide if they're going to do another two week to 30 day lockdown. And, and so by lockdown, as, is it you can't go outside unless you're allowed to? I mean, you have to have no. a good reason to be out or what is it? You can you can go to the grocery store. They have got a. Um, um, what is it? 6 a.m. A curfew from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. I think now first they had 6 a.m to 8 p.m. And then I think they changed it to 10 p.m. But there was a lot of confusion around it. They were, they actually had um, police officers searching people's grocery sacks when they were leaving the store to see if it was what they bought was essential or what? not. But yeah, so, uh, I, I think they've got some of those issues ironed out a little bit, but. What uh, is the, what's the proposed enforcement? If this is well, uh, violated, they, they have fines. They have a fine, mm-hmm. and um, they'll give you a warning, a first warning, and then the second warning, you're fine. You're fined, and the third, they were taking people to jail. So, I think the Law and Order Committee has kind of addressed some of those and kind of got some of those uh, <laughs> those issues um, <laughs> straightened out a little bit. So, all right. So, what is your thought? Uh, your position on? Um, local state and federal governments um, deciding what people or businesses or jobs or items are uh, essential. Is that the government's job? To me, it's not. I mean, you know, I, I tell people, people, freedom is messy, you know, and um, right. there, there's just really no way to get around that. And if, and if you're not willing to recognize that, um, then you've already got a problem. The thing of it is what the government has done is they've decided that they're smarter than the individual. And, you know, at some point we have to give individuals, um, we have to have confidence in their ability to think for themselves. What is the best, what is the best thing for me? Now take, take for instance, your grocery stores. So I've set into place and I did started this six weeks ago, warming people up mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, washing your hands, don't touch your face, um, all those kinds of things. And then I just kept adding to it, putting down markers on the floor to social distance and wash your hands frequently, you know, and putting the Purell out and, and building people up to that. And they've been real, they were very receptive to it and understood it. Um, and so I think that we need to have a little more confidence in our people to do the right thing. I think it's important for government to put out the message and all the scientific data. But I do think people need to be um, able to make 
their own decision based on what they feel is in their best interest. Um, you know, they've shut all these schools down and on the reservation. We have a lot of things we have to be concerned about when that happens. Um, they, you know, they tried for a while to still deliver meals and um, um, they've done that up until I think about a week ago and they had to stop because Why? it was just, well, it was just getting so uh, complicated, uh, getting enough workers in there, getting mm. enough bus drivers and, you know, it's a rural area. So there's a lot of miles. Mm -hmm. And so the money that was being spent on that. But the other thing that um, has been concerning to me is um, we have a lot of abuse on the reservation, child abuse and domestic abuse. And those numbers we have seen since this COVID-19 has started, those numbers are rising. Um, when you lock people up and they're not able <laughs> yeah. to go out, um, you know, people get a little punchy and to say the least, you know. And What, what is and, the tribal um, council's um, position on that? I mean, is that they something they don't really care about? or that. They have, um, I don't want to say that they don't care about it. I think that they have let and let the fear of the COVID-19 drive everything mm -hmm. that they're deciding, yeah. you know, what is worse. And um, so that's a great uh, question. Are, what is worse? Yeah. What is worse? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, um, and so I have a lot of concerns about um, these lockdown orders where, you know, kids aren't able to go to the playground at least, or um, be able to ride their bikes or be outside or, um, yeah. Now it, it's one thing to, you know, it happened on a reservation. They kind of have their own government, their, their own, own everything, they have their own authority. But outside of that, what is your position on the, the American government on American land with freedom loving citizens, whatever? Um, is there a place where, uh, in a pandemic, let's say that it is appropriate for government to step in and say, you're not allowed to move about freely you're not allowed you you we're going to suspend some of your rights or most of your rights that are according to our founders given to us by our creator is there ever a time when that's appropriate no i i, I just can't go along with it i you know we have a bill of rights we have the first 10 amendments and i think they're pretty clear um i think government's role is to put the information out there um, let our states and our local governments understand what that information is, and then let them try to make decisions based on the good science. But at the same time, you can't make it worse than what it already is. I mean, like I said, with the abuse issues, um, whether it's child abuse, domestic abuse, alcoholism, opioids, um, I've got a friend that, um, has been taking cancer treatments and he was not able to take his chemo. They've moved him all the way to June 2nd. What? Um, yeah, that, that's life threatening, isn't it? It is. And, but all these decisions are being made without thinking the whole process through. And, um, so I go back to the individual, you have to be able to make smart decisions. And I, I feel like the cancer Institute or, or uh, maybe the dentist office, they, they're, they're smart. They're, mm. they're going to take all the precautions necessary, but those things just can't be shut down. And um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big stickler on uh, freedom is messy, but we have to, we have to move on. We, there's risk in everything we do in life. And uh, uh, so. Are, are you confident in the information that has been disseminated by from the top down, by the governing, from the president down to by, you know, the NIH, CDC, the World Health Organization. Are you confident in that information? Well, you know, I guess if you ask that question at the beginning, you'd have to say, well, yeah, I, I you know, I'm going to take the information for, for what it is. I mean, these are the experts. This is what's coming down from them. But the message has changed so much from the start to now. I think people are confused. Do you wear a mask? Don't you wear a mask? <laughs> right. Do you wear gloves? Don't you wear gloves? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, 
I started out at my store. Well, they, they weren't recommending masks. Well, then they went to recommending masks. Now they're saying no mask. You know, we don't know. We can only do what the, the information that they give us. So mm-hmm. back to the individual, we have to be able to think these things through for ourselves a little bit. I specifically don't wear a mask. I'm at the store around people all day long. I wash my hands, wash my hands, and I've learned not to touch my face. You know, we're, we're bad. We're always itching, you know, I have allergies. So I'm always itching my eyes. And um, so I think there's a lot of good that's came out of this. I think it's made people more aware of viruses, whether it's this one or the flu viruses. Um, that you need to take precautions and those precautions really are pretty simple. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. If you're sick, stay home. (laughs) I mean, wait, you don't need government to tell you that. I don't need government to tell me that (laughs) they can remind me in a (laughs) pandemic, but I don't need, I don't need to be, um, um, legislated into doing that. Well, because at some point when you begin to legislate, um, movement you have to enforce it somehow and how, yeah, where did, how, how, how far down it? does that go because theoretically it's going to run down to a bullet and right. is that where we're going and so that, that that's my what i'm curious especially you have a really unique perspective because you get to be in both two kinds of governments right now right and i think that's a fascinating perspective it um um do you appreciate governor gnome's position like like the, the, her her stance, what she's done so far to be, um, her claim is we're not going to shut down like mandate shutdowns with everyone. Um, people need to make choices on their own. That's the word that comes out of her office. Is that the appropriate response? I th- I think it is. I think that uh, Governor Nome has done a good job as far as leaving it up to local governments. But um, I'm concerned with some of our local government officials that have taken it upon their their selves now, not listening to the business community and um, the concerns. So, you know, every every town is different. Now, Phillip, South Dakota, they're all open for business. There's not any businesses there closed. Well, it's for obvious reasons that, you know, they not a big population, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so what happens there versus what happens in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or Rapid City, South Dakota is completely different. But we have to go back to the fact, I mean, we are going to lose so many businesses. Um, as a business owner myself, when I first purchased the grocery store, it was three years before I showed a profit. We didn't pay ourselves. There was five of us ran the whole place. Wow. And so it takes... So say three years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you're telling these businesses that I'm sorry, this pandemic, you know, we cannot allow you to open up. And I think about some of the little boutiques in Rapid City that might only get two, three people a day yeah, or maybe every two days. Is it right that they've had to shut their doors? I mean, obviously there'd be social distancing involved in that narrative. I mean, so you know, I'm a little concerned with the way the local governments have um, determined what's essential and what's not essential, and and what are the consequences of this going to be afterwards. The fact of the matter is, um, the sales tax revenue in the state of South Dakota is already down over 30 some percent. Uh, the number one industry in this state by billions and billions and billions is agriculture. The second number, uh, second industry is tourism. Okay, so somebody needs to explain to me that lost revenue. How are we going to pay our teachers? The things that we are responsible constitutionally to do, how how is that going to happen? And so I get concerned when um, they say that Walmart or a grocery store is essential. (laughs) But the 10 people that attend my church, our doors are locked. Yeah. when the government starts deciding what's essential and what's not, that's not a good plan. And Well, uh, it becomes so subjective because what's essential to yeah. me may not be essential to you. That's right. And like Minnesota has chosen that tobacco and alcohol is essential. And yes. so that is running. I don't you do those things. Alcohol. And so I, no. that's not essential. Well, it is, but it's not. Right. 
I mean, so yeah, you become this just weird well, what becomes, line. What becomes essential with uh, alcohol and tobacco is the tax revenue. That's what becomes essential. When state governments looking at essential items, they decide that yeah. tobacco, alcohol, and lottery are essential because of the tax revenue. I do find it interesting because I've noticed that that has become a, a, a constant reminder that video lottery is so down in South Dakota the money and i apparently didn't realize that was such a revenue generator for the state a huge revenue generator and my we we're not allowed to sell powerball on the reservation but we are allowed to sell uh scratch tickets and our scratch ticket sales have went through the roof really yes Mm -hmm. we're out all the time so um because the casinos are shut shut down Mm. video lottery is shut down um the the vice now for the people that use those um they've turned to the scratch tickets Hmm. so yeah it's a huge revenue driver huge do you Um, feel that the you know going back to the the local city governments making rules about what's essential is that maybe the most appropriate place for that decision to be made is at the actual city level as opposed to a state or federal i think it is because you need to get all these decisions as close to the people as mm-hmm. you possibly can. And for accountability, that, if nothing else, if, for accountability, if nothing else, you know, um, if you start at the national level or state level, say the national level tells the state, you got to do this or the states, whatever it may be. Um, then that lets the local officials off the hook and the local officials are the ones closest to the people. Yeah. And so they really are the ones that need to be making that decision because they will be held accountable by their constituents. And um, so I, I do believe almost in all things, not just this in particular, you have to keep, you have to keep the decision-making as close as you can um, to the people, and that's at, usually at the local level. What do you think the toll, the mental toll we're going to see, um, just from this idea of being bombarded on every front with this notion that social distancing is the ne- is what we have to do. Meaning you can't be with other people. You can't be social. You can't be community anymore. What is the mental toll we're going to see come out of that? I think it's huge. And the other thing, I think it goes against our humanity. I mean, <laughs> I tell people one of the, one of the biggest problems I've had is, um, I'm a hugger and, uh, <laughs> You know, and I shake hands and, yeah. you know, when people come in my store, I'm, I'm hugging people, I'm shaking hands. And it has been a really a mental challenge for me, um, not to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it bothers me, especially in my area. I tell my employees, you know, um, it's a depressed economy. It's, I don't know if Dewey County's taken us over, but we were the second poorest County in the nation per capita. And so we have a lot of sad days here you know with the poverty and the problems that we have and um i always i've told my employees over 16 years i don't care how bad your day is a person coming through that door needs a smile and they need to be felt like uh, that might be the only smile they get for the day and so we've worked hard over the years to try to instill that and and i'm just one of those people i just like to hug people and and greet them and hope they have a great day. And because a lot of people need that. Mm -hmm. And specifically in my area, they really need that. So I'm very concerned with the idea that um, now we can't show our affection through a hug or a handshake. Um, You know, the elbow bumping and the foot, it's just (laughs) not the same. And so some of my, some of my customers and I, we, we, we see each other now, we put her out our arms, like we're really hugging one another, you know, um, but I'm very concerned about that. But that's community. That, that is what we're supposed to be. That's what we are. We're not made to be isolated. And so I, I'm, I'm just worried, I guess, that we are going to see a huge mental breakdown in our society. I absolutely. Because of that. And and that's scary if you think about it. I've already seen the change in attitude, you know, um, uh, just in the store, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, people are, 
they're just not as bubbly. Mm -hmm. They're not, um, they're more cautious. They're looking for the signs on the floor. They're, you know, am I doing anything wrong or, um, you know, and so I, I've worked hard myself and the employees to try to make people still feel comfortable, but yet protecting people, I guess you would say. Well, you part know, of it's just being wise and we're, we're supposed to do that. Wise, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, so anyway, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, what is your, and I, I don't want to take, keep you too much longer. I really appreciate your time so far. Um, what is your thought on uh, the way the President Trump has handled this scenario? Well, you know, I've listened to both sides and there, and I, and I realize there's criticism. And of course I am, uh, I am a Republican and um, I, I tell people I'm a conservative Republican, you know, but I, I keep wondering, you know, in the, I use the ag industry a lot mm -hmm. because we've been seeing this for 30 years, this, this outsourcing and this continued, um, China, 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 you know? And, um, so I think that he's done everything he possibly could have. I mean, when he shut off the flights, mm -hmm. uh, coming in, um, I'm just curious what everybody, you know, all these experts say he should have done more. What should he have done? You know, I mean, well, and we all always in retrospect, we could have done more or something. We different. could have done more. And so you, you know? almost, I, I listened to an interview earlier today. Um, and the guy was explaining, we have to go back and consider the information available at the time That's right. when the decision was made to try to make that decision today. is just unfair. It you, is you can't unfair. do that. It's completely unfair. So, you know, I think he reacted the best he possibly could have with the information he had available to him. And for anybody to say he should have done more, um, I didn't see anybody else jumping in the driver's seat. <laughs> you know, I mean, good grief. You know, you can't foresee the future. You can only see what's in front of you right now. You know, yeah. you can you can try, but in something like this, I, I just felt like that he did you know, making that initial step to stop those flights was probably, it bought us a, at least two weeks, maybe three weeks time mm -hmm. um, to kind of get on it. And so. Um, what are your, uh, what's your opinion on term limits at the federal level? I'm all for term limits. I have signed a pledge for term limits. Really? Um, I wish we could come up with a term limit for um, bureaucrats because I tell people, <laughs> you know, you can put term limits on legislators, but yeah. the fact of the matter is those lifelong bureaucrats, they'll laugh at legislators. They used to laugh at us down in pier. Whenever we talk about term limits, they'd say, well, you guys go ahead. You're going to get beat in the next election or you're going to be out of here or whatever. We're going to still be here. Hmm. And until we figure out how to control the bureaucracy and the bureaucrats who are actually doing all the rulemaking authority, on our legislation that we pass, term limits are really null and void. I mean, I'm for them, but we need term limits for bureaucrats. So what what do you say to the argument, and this is primarily at the federal level that I've talked to other politicians about, right. and the argument seems to always be that um, you need to have that history. You need to be able to understand that you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, um, this happened right. when we brought this up. And so you kind of need to know that information. Right. So that's why tenure matters. Seniority well, and, matters. And there is, there is some truth to that. I'll be honest. There is some truth to that. When you're a, when you're a, um, your first term, say at the state level, I'm going to just use the state level. You know, it, there is a learning curve. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to understand how policy is written, um, what kind of language to look for, uh, whether they're using the word may or shall or I mean, small words make huge yeah. differences. And so, yeah, there there's definitely something to that. My biggest problem um, is with the bureaucracy, because the bureaucracy, the bureaucrats, the unelected officials that are working in um, the executive branch um, and all the other agencies are actually the ones that are getting set on the boards and are actually the ones that are promulgating the rules. And so we might pass legislation, but once it goes to the rules committee or uh, uh, unelected board appointed by the executive branch, 
that whole bill can be changed. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a real, real uh, problem um, with that part of the legislative body. And, And the legislative body, I think at the state levels and at the national level, have been willing to give that up. And yeah. it has caused this um, disconnect. Do you uh, think some of that willingness to give it up is so you don't have to take responsibility for the decision? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Hmm. And the other reason is money. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it really comes down to that, yeah. you know. And um, so, um, yeah, I support term limits. But I also want people to understand with term limits, you know, you do lose um, experience. Um, but but aren't with your uh, but aren't there like career staffers yeah, that that are there all the time that could actually walk you through that, and that do for well, the first the years, state, right? At the state level, you know, a lot of states have um, actual. Like with South Dakota, we have the LRC, the Legislative Research mm-hmm. Council. There's I don't know. That's bipartisan, correct? Yeah, and it's bipartisan. And and they work with all legislators to write policy and uh, draft bills and advise us legally, you know, um, on legislation. But they're trying to take care of 104 legislators. And there's, I don't know, maybe 20 20 Mm. in there. Now, what other states do is they actually let legislators hire their own person to help them draft legislation you know they they set that money forward for each legislature so you know there's there's all kinds of different ways to look at that mm-hmm. but i've always felt with south dakota you know the legislative research council is a great great bunch of people they work tirelessly for all the legislators and they're and they're very good but they're trying to handle 104 legislators and all <laughs> different kinds of issues and yeah. and it it gets complicated. And yeah. What, what are your thoughts on the, uh, the practice in the federal in Congress um, of passing bills under unanimous consent? No. Um, every bill needs to be debated mm-hmm. and um, without debate, you can't, you know, they, they do that at the state level, you know, we'll, we'll send it, you know, well, it'll be under <laughs> consent. Right. And, if that bill is being brought, it's being brought because it matters to somebody. You know, it was a constituent out there that wanted it or, you know, and the idea that it just goes on consent and there's no debate on it. I'm not for that. I think bills need to be debated. Um, I think that's common sense, but then. (laughs) (laughs) That might be lacking. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, Do do you, um, what, what do you think about the CARES Act and the subsequent uh, COVID response bills at the federal level? Is is that an appropriate use of uh, making money, shall we say? I have a real hard time when they start printing money. Um, printing money uh, leads to inflation. Well, but they yeah. claim, if you listen to the money, they, the, the Mnuchin in them, this is safe money. It's... it's uh, it is because essentially they they claim to be borrowing against the stock market, and so they say uh, it won't cause inflation. I don't. Buy I, it. I don't know how you do that. Six trillion dollars. How do you not cause inflation when you throw that kind of money out there? You can't. We're already in debt. What are they talking about? Same thing like we did with Social Security. <laughs> we put I, IOUs in them, and you know, at some point we have to take fiscal responsibility for our actions. Mm-hmm. And I understand the need to help businesses right now, but at what cost are we going to do that? And who decides who gets what? I mean, you know, the first bill was um, uh, the Kennedy Center got money. Yeah. Well, is the Kennedy Center, is that really somebody that needs money? See, that's the problem. It's they, essential they to someone. Essential to somebody. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but was it essential to South Dakota? No. Was it essential to Montana, Wyoming, even California for crying out loud? What What do you think about um, McConnell's argument that just plug your nose and vote for the bill because we got to help someone? So like it or not, just vote for it. Is, is that the is, is that the right response? No, uh, 
I, I, I've heard that. I've heard that before at the state level. You know, we just we just got to We just got to do it. You know, if they really want to do something in Congress, lay the bill out, mm. put it out there, get the, it out there. Yeah. Who gets what? Don't turn it. Don't say we're going to stick two trillion dollars in this and then we're going to stick it. We're going to send it over here to this rules committee or this board and they're going to decide who gets the money. And that's exactly that's, what happened. That's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And it'll continue to happen. Somebody needs to bring legislation and says, "Okay, stop this. This is how it's going to be. We need to decide right now who who's going to get this money and why are they going to get this money? Harvard University. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Good grief. Wait, aren't they helping put out the data for COVID-19? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've got a lot of those. (laughs) Working behind the scenes to (laughs) get the data out there, you know. Oh, my, my concern is that my concern is the main street businesses mm-hmm. that have the little boutique or the little cafe or the little those are the people that we better be concerned about because those are the people that are running this country. Those are yeah. the people that are propping things up. It's not uh it's not Harvard mm-hmm. and it's not the Kennedy Center. Um you know, at some point our congressional leaders have to understand what runs this country mm-hmm. and it's not the Kennedy center. It's the egg people. It's the cow calf producer. It's the independent feeders. It's the, um, the small businesses on the streets of rapid city and Sioux falls. Um, I keep, I, I just, the, the visual of those boutiques that, you know, I, I go to once in a while when I'm in rapid city and knowing those people and knowing how hard it was for them to get that business up and off the ground I mean, like I told you, it took me three years to show a profit. The idea that those businesses are going to be able to come back is a joke. Okay, um, okay. so then <clears throat> you're a business owner. What is your perspective on the uh, the the answer from both the president or from the federal, essentially? I mean, he said it a couple times. Our governor said it. All the other governors I've listened to have said it. Um, the answer to all these businesses that are have been injured by this economy, you know, business has been taken away from them by no fault of their own. Um, the answer is we're going to give you small business loans. <laughs> does in your as estimation, a business, does a, a loan help lost revenue? As a business owner, why do I want another loan? Right. You know, somebody, somebody called me here the other way. Well, actually it was one of my accountants. Are you going to apply for um, the small business loan? I mm-hmm. said, why would I do that? More debt. More debt. I can't handle small businesses. Yeah. You know, we work on a very, very narrow margin. Mm-hmm. And uh, no matter what people think, small business owners aren't rich. Um, and, and the idea that I would take out another loan is crazy. But why, um, but why is that what why is that the go to why is that what they think is the answer oh we'll fix it we'll borrow you some money well look at our credit card debt in well, this company uh, in this country yeah. everybody thinks oh you know borrow more money put it on a credit card you know I was, I always think back my niece when she was little she said uh, she wanted something we were in town and I said well I don't have enough money for that she said well write a check. <laughs> Right. That's you what know, money is. I mean, that's, that's the mentality yeah. that we've gotten to mm-hmm. um, where people don't understand that money has to be paid back. Um, am I applying for the loan? Absolutely not. Am I applying for any of it? Absolutely not. I mean, you know, um, I can't I can't afford any more debt. Right. You know, so who I still don't understand who is who is advising these bodies that this is the answer. Wall Street? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. you know, there, there's, we have two different worlds out there. Yeah. We, we have, you know, corporate America and then we have Main Street America. And I think corporate has more of a voice than Main Street. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen that in the cattle industry. Uh, we, for the life of us, cannot get an average cattle producer in front of President Trump. We just can't do it. Why? We've got, they don't. It's it's the corps. It's the multinational corporations because they have the lobby money. They have the lobby money. And so uh, I feel like that's the same thing with uh, uh, the multi Mm -hmm. corporations versus the small business 
owners of Main Street of America. Yeah. I, I think it's the same concept. Mm. And you can only know what you're told. You know, I tell people you can't blame President Trump for the um, state of the cattle industry if he doesn't if he's not getting the right information. Yeah. And um, so. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Um, well, I, uh, <laughs> I we we should wrap this up so you can get back to your the rest of your life but i i appreciate it um this has been a great uh introduction for me to you because i had not heard of you before um oh, great. where can uh, our listeners find more about you well we have a facebook page so you'll have to go to that and like and share that and we've got a lot of information on there a lot of videos videos of the ranch um of the grocery store and that and is liz may for congress on facebook yep okay yep liz may for congress and um, then we have also have a website. If you're interested in helping or volunteering or watching more of us, you can go to www.lizmayforcongress.com. Okay. Um, and we're, of course, as usual, always asking for money. Uh, <laughs> anybody that can donate right. out there. Uh, COVID-19 has kind of put a screeching halt oh, I bet. to uh, traveling. Even if I wanted to leave right now, I'm under <laughs> under. <laughs> Um, a lockdown <laughs> to say crazy. I can't leave the boundaries. So uh, wow, and I just hope everybody on June second can um, consider voting for me. I'm, uh, I think I'm very capable and and ready to go. And are, are you the only that, other Republican in the in the primary? Yeah, just okay. Dusty and I. Okay, and there's no general. They the Democrats uh, didn't. They weren't able to get a candidate on the ballot so what um yeah the primary is the general really yeah so it'll all be decided on the june 2nd then on the june 2nd wow so we're excited well best of luck to you i appreciate it um i would hope that we could do this again sometime i've had a blast yeah. it's been great uh yeah i I, I prefer this uh a much more in-depth conversation than just a quick sound bite so thank you very yeah. much no it's been great thank Absolutely. you so much for having me i no appreciate problem. it have a wonderful okay. day. Stay safe, stay healthy, yeah. and find some more meat for your, your, your customers. <laughs> Same to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have Thank a great you. day. That is Liz May for Congress. Liz Marty May. Liz May for Congress.com if you're interested. It's, it's nice to hear from people that work in the community and actually have uh, ownership in something. They Their neighbors matter. Their communities matter. It's always nice to hear their perspective. Thank you for coming on. Uh, this is the interview on the Wine Milbank Podcast Network. I'm Craig Weinberg. That should do it for this episode. We'll be back. I'm, I'm uh, working on a few other connections, see if we can get them. I'm, I'm still reaching out to Governor Noam to see if she can come on here. Uh, we really want to get her to come on and a answer some questions, not, you know, to talk to the people. It's one thing to do a press conference and just have to, you know, you would get to answer a few questions. Uh, and move on but it's always good to have the uh, a more of a long form interview process so anyway a conversation that's what we do here at the interview whymillbank.com is the website thanks for listening have a fantastic day and everyone else wash your hands <laughs> and stay safe <laughs>